are back. Welcome to Cinematic Tangent. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Michael Van Olsen. And as usual, as always, my good friend Bradley Redder is here. Brad, how you doing? Uh, it's me. Uh, I'm uh, good. Uh, we're <laughs> this is the second time recording the show, so it's going to be kind of a quick one, yeah. folks. <laughs> we had a technical <laughs> issues and lost it. We recorded this initially way before the Oscars and other shit, uh, but you're probably going to get it after the fact. Brad, <laughs> we're talking Cocaine Bear today, and we're talking uh, Cabin in the Woods by a little director named M. Night. I can't say his name, Brad. Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Oh, oh, God. No, it's a bad joke. It's an inside joke. Inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> I also hate that when people pretend they can't pronounce his name. M. Night Shyamalan, who I'm, I'm honest to God a fan of. Uh, I like this movie. I like his movies in general. So that should be an interesting talk, because... <laughs> uh, it's it's definitely one of his better movies in a while, uh, but I actually do want to start with Cocaine Bear, Brad, because this movie, for whatever reason, based on the real-life story where a bear ate cocaine and died, <laughs> has become yeah. a major Hysterical. blockbuster this year. Like People were really interested in it. It was one of the busier theaters I've seen in a while when, people went, like, when I went to see it. I don't know if you felt this. There felt like there was a lot more buzz around this movie. A lot of people that I wouldn't even think would be interested in it went to go see it. I don't know, man. For whatever reason, this movie kind of snuck up on all of us. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, Brad, why don't, why don't you start us out? What did you think of Cocaine Bear? I thought it was worthless. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was you know, I I was a, a kind of against seeing this uh, to begin with, but the only reason I kind of a, you know decided to was because you were kind of interested, and that shocked me because I thought you would. I thought you'd be like disgusted by this because uh, that's kind of what I was when I saw the trailer. Like, because I, I also like, like you said, you know, people who just don't even care about movies were interested in seeing this. Like, I had friends who don't go to the theater saying, like, I'm going to go see this. You know, sending me the trailer, and I watched it and was just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it just made me go numb. It was like, I, God damn it. I, <laughs> Um, and so then seeing the movie, it was just like all, all of the assumptions were confirmed. Um, and that's kind of unfortunate because it actually, it sort of faked me out for like the first maybe 15 to 20 minutes when it's sort of introducing characters and it's Same sort here. of, Good it's for sort sec. of like this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of just like a eighties themed kind of light comedy type type thing with like a weird premise. So I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. Um, and then, and then once the bear comes out, it's. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say it's fucking worthless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, so like, I, I'm a big horror fan. Uh, Shutter, if y'all don't have it, I recommend it all the time in this now, like on the show. Five bucks a month. This is one of the best streaming services. It has a lot of great old movies on there. A lot of '80s creature features. And at night, sometimes, man, I'll smoke a bowl grab a beer and just watch them. And I think that you're correct. This movie's first act captures what makes those movies really cool. Um, it's introducing a lot of, like, it's setting a tone. We're supposed to be somewhere sort of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, has kind of this charm, and it's introducing all the characters. I like the initial murder where the bear kills the hikers in the, in the hills. It's really good. Um, but then, yeah, once they sort of reveal the bear and all the CGI glory, it becomes the dominant spectacle of the movie, and I think that it immediately becomes clear that it forgot why we liked 80s creature features. 
because there's no charm in the CGI at all. It lacks any of that kind of like cool, like the, the cool puppet effects or the cool, like, um, I don't know how to just say this. You know how like those 80s creature features were aware sometime that like their puppet or like whatever they're doing with the effects look like shit. So it wouldn't always yeah. dominate the camera. <clears throat> well, for whatever reason, this movie is overly confident in the fact that this disgusting looking, terrible looking CGI bear looks cool and that you'll enjoy seeing it on screen. And there's yeah. somewhat of a surreal nature to the effects where it isn't going for realism. But for me, it's just like I was never able to really separate the idea that the bear was anything other than like a brown rectangle on screen because the way it interacts (laughs) with the characters feels like it's weightless. (laughs) You know, it's vapid. It's really fucking bad. I don't know, man. It just it it really just I think it, it, it failed to understand why we like those 80 films in the first place. Is that what you feel? Yeah, totally. And, you know, oddly enough, uh, I mean, it's a funny comment to say it would be, you know, just like watching a brown rectangle on screen. But like that would almost be more interesting if you <laughs> know. put a mouth on a brown rectangle because uh, at least it would be sort of like bizarre and avant-garde or something. But the way this is, it's just like it's it just looks like shit and it's on the screen way too much doing way too many things. And goddamn, like, you know what? This sort of stinks. But like I actually kind of wish we were pairing this with 65 which we'll get to it on the next show which we're recording in an hour <laughs> yeah <laughs> but that does you know that does the very thing you were talking about very well of hiding its terrible effects but we'll get into that next time just a yeah little, no i agree with you. preview like, i guess it, it really really does think like there's something going on with special effects where uh it's a lot of filmmakers just really rely on the fact that they think like they create a film and then i think the effects are sort of done after the fact obviously but then they just rely on their graphic artists to sell the film and like i don't think that the effects are really crafted and designed into the scenes based on what the effects will really look like and cocaine bear is a great example of that but like okay so it falls back on comedy uh and honestly like sometimes i left like i thought i had some good jokes sometimes i thought it was the least funny dumbest movie i've ever seen in my whole life um yeah and and, and i think that it is weird too the effects are made worse by the fact that a lot of the gore in the movie maybe even all of the gore is traditional and the violence in another movie the gore is awesome it looks really cool it's really Mm -hmm. nasty sometimes like the there's a great scene one of the only scenes in the movie i liked where like uh it's a rain you know ranger's cabin and like an emt pulls up not knowing what's going on and the bear ends up killing everyone inside and chases the ambulance down the road and even in that scene like the bear looks super cartoony and running really fast and i thought it was excellent mm-hmm. use of the effects because it looked really silly uh and then it like goes into the ambulance and it like mauls this guy and his hand falls off and like i even cringed i was like a fucking awesome gore effects it's brutal it's nasty but, like, it, there's not enough stuff like that um, to really sell it. Yeah. And I think most of the time when the bear is committing violence against people and pulling out their organs and shit like that, there's a lot of gore in here, it just looks bad because it's like a CGI thing. It's ripping them apart, and then it's just, like, the actual, like, nature of why the effects are happening isn't really clear to me. I feel really detached from what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really hard to see the the bear as anything else other than just, like, I don't know, like a, like a I don't know, like a bad prop. I'm not really yeah. sure how to, I'm not really sure like how to put it. It's it's odd because I mean, like this is the kind of movie I thought we'd have a really good conversation about, but there's not a whole lot I can say about it. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it stinks because <clears throat> the um that that ambulance chase scene you're talking about, uh, the the actual bear chasing the ambulance is garbage, but once it gets in the ambulance and the, you know, the sort of severed hand that you're talking about, what's great about that is it's you know you you're just seeing it from the cab like you're watching the driver at that point and then the hand just falls into like the front seat so like you're not actually seeing the bear 
which is exactly what this should be. It, like, it, it, I, it should just be way more of, you know, the bear just being more suggested at rather than being the star. And, you know, when it doesn't do that, <clears throat> when it doesn't make the bear the star, that is, uh, I actually think it kind of succeeds. You know, like I said, that first 15 to 20 minutes when it's introducing the actual human characters who actually have personalities, um, it's interesting and it's fun and it's kind of stylish and, you know, and then there are like flashes of that throughout and, you know, because there, there are more scenes too, you know, of, of the violence that you're talking about where they, they kind of suggest it or they do sort of traditional effects. There's another one where I think it's the ranger himself. Uh, Herself, right? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. It, it's the with the inspector or whatever the guy that comes to that the ranger has the crush on or whatever oh yeah um, <laughs> he hit the guy he bears like, are gentle creatures i like that character <clears throat> really funny yeah yeah when he gets dragged <laughs> i don't call them the, animals like he, <laughs> yeah he gets like dragged into the bushes and mauled and so like you kind of just see like a hint of the bear in the background like in the bushes kind of and like you kind of like see him being dragged away and it's like those are good effects those are fun and and like there's craft in that and I don't have to look at the ugly ass bear, uh, you know, so like there are times when it's when it's really good and they they do some incredible work. But then it they're just so vastly overshadowed by the shitty bear. <laughs> yeah, it is really funny. Uh, the director of this, Elizabeth Banks, she did a really good job in a lot of scenes. She obviously understands horror films. She's seen them. You're talking about that scene is really good. The ambulance. There's a lot of moments of craft in there, but also like there are just moments where I'm not saying this to knock her in any way, but like there are moments where like the direction doesn't match up with like the obvious talent she has because like there's just no craft on display. Um, one of the worst scenes in the movie for me is like there's this uh, there's this scene that's like it should be really cool where like they're trapped on top of a gazebo and the bear is passed out from cocaine, which I. <laughs> Did not know it was possible. <laughs> but it's passed, passed out on top of one of the other people, and then the joke becomes like the bear's vaginas and this guy's ear, and ha ha ha. But like, it doesn't mm-hmm. even look like a bear. It just like it's hard for me to b- believe there's anything threatening down there that's keeping these people on top of this gazebo. Um, and like, otherwise, it would be a really cool scene because it's kind of a long sequence. It's really hard to make it interesting with these two people trapped in kind of a standoff on a gazebo, where like the cop is standoff with the criminals and there's guns going on and stuff. And uh, it's it's a weird mix because some of that scene is excellent and then when you introduce the bear as like the cgi element that's keeping him on there instead of the gunplay the bear actually is what brings that scene down it diminishes Mm. the quality of that scene and i think that's really really like wild to me that they made it like sort of the focal point when i think that a lot of the best sort of comedy moments too are actually from the the human characters and their interactions with each other so yeah because the the comedy of the bear is Hey, look, it did cocaine. Isn't that <laughs> Bro, it did cocaine. Yeah, the bear. It's killing and, people. <laughs> you know, and so, like, after you see that, you know, a second time, it's it's worn out, but there's another hour of the movie left. Yeah, I know. And, and like, like, that's oh, great. There is, like, uh, there was a joke early on, too, where, like, the kids are, uh, if you, <laughs> I love in movies, too, where, like, people will try cocaine. They're like, that's pure shit. And they spit it out. You know, mm-hmm. because like for the kids, I've tasted cocaine in my life. I've, ha- I've put cocaine in my mouth when I was younger and it tastes like incredible garbage. So there's a scene <laughs> where like one of the kids is pretending he's used coke lots of times and they got a bag of cocaine. And she's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, you just spoon it out. And he takes a tablespoon and puts it in his mouth. And I laughed out loud and the kids reacted mm-hmm. the way they should. It was disgusting. And it was really funny to see like these 12 year olds pretending they're drug, you know, using and really cool. It felt very 80s, very 90s. Um, the movie kind of has a tone of both. Um, and I laughed at that scene. I thought it was excellent. And again, there's another great sequence of the bear there because it's kind of like in the bushes. You don't really see it in the sequence. Um, you mm-hmm. know, it's a sort of menacing presence that's coming to get them. And again, a great scene. But 
just not enough of it. And then I thought the last act of this movie, where it sort of devolves, where the story ends up changing, where it becomes more about this drug dealer trying to get back this cocaine, uh, and they introduce, uh, you know, uh, Ray, uh, was it, oh God, I can't say his name. He just died. I'm sorry. Ray Liotta. Ray, Ray Liotta. Um, and like all of that is terrible and it suffers from one of my least favorite parts of script writing, which is you have now changed in the third act what the initial obstacle was for the characters because all of a sudden yeah. the movie transitions where we're supposed to sympathize with the bear because this yeah. drug dealer is heartless and now we're rooting for the bear to kill them. And I'm like, I'm not on board with this. The bear has been mauling people to death for 45 minutes yeah. here. <laughs> well, that, that's also the, kind of the weird thing about about the movie as a whole. Like you're talking about that gazebo sequence where the bear is the actual threat, but the, you know, the human characters are far more interesting and they're sort of standoff and conflict. Um, because yeah, it like it it begs you know brings up the question like what who is the villain here and what is the end like what are we building towards them shooting this bear you know which like kind of sucks I mean, <laughs> um, but then yeah like in the end it sort of just switches the villain because yeah like you can't because then it introduces bear cubs too and you can't like kill this mother bear in front of its cubs, um. And then I so was then, curious, yeah, too, just, was like, it's supposed, the bear, the bear cubs supposed to be, like, cute? Were they supposed to, I, like, feel emotional attachment so. to them? Because I didn't give a shit about them. <clears throat> I didn't give a fuck what happened to them. I didn't care at all. So. <laughs> I mean, I didn't care what happened to anyone in the movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but <clears throat> by I the end of it. it but I think it was trying to rely on the fact that it would create sympathy of like, oh, the cute little bear cubs, like the mother's just trying yeah. to protect them. And I was like, I don't give a fuck about her or her stupid cubs. They're CGI blobs. I don't give a shit about them. <laughs> you couldn't even bring in real <laughs> tiny bear cubs for that scene. You had to use CGI little bear cubs. Like, what the fuck, man? Terrible. Uh, absolutely. Well, because they have to do cocaine, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> that's even funnier. You know, one one bear doing cocaine, that's funny. Three bears doing cocaine, that's fucking hilarious. Yeah, I don't know. It just it would have benefited a lot uh, more, I think, from a focused script and a real like, I don't know, like a, a real sense of like what kind of style it was going for. There's too much mix of stuff going on here, including plots. There's basically two separate movies here uh, smashed into one at a merciful, you know, hour and a half, um, you know, runtime. Yeah, time, that is, is nice. a good point. Yeah. Uh, but like, Chris, it's just not enough. I, but it is funny, though. Like, what do we really expect from a story that's allegedly based on a real bear who used cocaine and died, like using that kind of like based on true story gimmick. I get it. But like, that's the full story. And I feel like this is really just like a 30 minute movie. So it is. <laughs> I guess that's kind of the thing too, is like, I mean, the bear is essentially kind of a victim and in like the real story, the bear died. Like that's actually just kind of sad to me. And that they, they made it into this like comedy romp. It's just sort of like, weird where it's like murder viciously brutally murdering all these fucking people it's like <laughs> yeah I, I find the concept kind of weird and like i i don't know it, it sort of reminded me of did you ever see that movie 30 minutes or less came out like 10 years ago no i have not with do you know what it is do you remember what it is no it, i have no it's idea like J- jesse eisenberg was in it and he plays I, I can't remember exactly what the premise is but it was basically like uh, somebody ordered a pizza and like the deliver they they put like a a like a time bomb on the delivery driver and made him rob a bank. And it's like I think the real story is the guy fucking died. He blew up. He and, did. And they I made this think, like comedy. Did he die in real life? That guy. I think he did. Oh, I don't know now. I me- I know Maybe the real the bomb story that you're talking about. <clears throat> I remember Ooh. the real story being kind of gruesome though, and they made this like this like you know lighthearted comedy about it. And it was like 
that's just kind of weird. Like, this sort of a dark story to turn into, like, this comedy. It's like a real guy. It is. But, like, I think in this, it's really just fictional. The fact that it was, it's not really based on of a course. true story. That was just the marketing gimmick for it. I mean, nothing of here course. in the movie. There's no real characters in this. There's no real drug dealers. Um, anything like that. It's it's really, like, so I didn't feel any kind of, like, sympathy or feel like it was dark in that way. Um, I don't even necessarily I mind. Okay, yeah. I didn't necessarily even mind the premise, I guess. It's just that it's not long enough to make an hour and a half film, especially if you don't really know where you're going. Because, like, I think that this falls into, like, the, again, I'm going to quote, you know, Sid, Field, Sid Fields here, but his whole logic is, like, if you're writing a screenplay, you have to know what the ending is, and you have to know what the beginning is. You have to know where you're going. And the movie, I yeah. had no idea what the hell it was going to do with this, which is, like, we got a bear with cocaine. It's going to kill people in this mountain. And then it just feels like they jumbled one scene into the next in the third act, and then the movie was something entirely different. And for me, that just made it almost like a complete zero. It wasn't even fun at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, because it's almost like a bunch of vignettes that are tied together by this crazy event of the bear snorting cocaine, you know, because there are like four different sets of characters, maybe even more than that, like, you know, and like there's different like groupings of them, but like there are like just several sets of characters and they I don't know, they kind of interact at times, but like not in any cohesive way that really tells a story. It's just kind of like, look at all these different people and, you know, coming across as a bear. And since I don't find the bear interesting, I don't find any of the interactions interesting. So it's just kind of like, what the fuck is this? I know. And then the driving characters, too, are all really strange. Like, you have the two drug dealers that are going to get the cocaine. Then you have this mother who's looking for her child and her child's friend. Um, and then, like, none of that's really compelling or interesting either. And then, like, the fact that ends up being kind of, like, they devolve into, like, human drama between them. I, I don't know, man. I just didn't even know, like, I don't even remember their names. I'm not good with names anyway, to be fair. But, like, I mm-hmm. had no attachment to any of the characters. I wasn't entirely sure who the protagonist was, who I was following. I guess it's the bear. <laughs> so, it's just, yeah, it's really a mess. Kind of. Like, <laughs> it really is. On the script side, like, a mess. And I get, I get the 80s horror movies are manic like that anyway. They often have no real ending. I watched Maniac Cop not too long ago um, with uh, Bruce Campbell. That movie is ridiculous. You know, like, the ending is just, like, comes out of nowhere. The movie doesn't, like, go together. But, like, it's funny, and it's just, like, it's presenting this good time to you. It has all this sort of traditional effects. And I think that this falls into it with, like, maybe this movie would have worked, and maybe it would have captured more of the 80s flair if the whole focus wasn't on the bear, and the bear didn't look like shit. And I think that's really what, like, the main downfall is, even if you can set aside the script, you know? So Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't know, man. It's it's a bummer. I, I kind of am shocked that this was that popular, though. I'm looking at the money you made now. It's not as much as I thought. Uh, and, like, it is odd, too. Like, this is sort of telling this is one of the more popular movies in a while, but, like, the death of theaters is really upon us. Holy shit, because, like, this is at least somewhat different than what's coming out, don't you think? I guess so. But, like, is it... You know, I, I understand why it made a bunch of money because it was it had like that sort of shock value ad campaign of like, what is this weird movie where this bear does cocaine? Um, but like, what did people actually think when they walked out of the theater? Like, did this actually get good audience reviews? I mean, okay, it's got a six out of ten on IMDb audience score. It's like that's it's not like people went and they were like in love with it, you know? No, and they set it up for a sequel too. <laughs> Yeah, cocaine shark. Cocaine shark. There's gonna be a whole cocaine animal. A different franchise. animal. <laughs> a different animal that's harder for different groups of characters to have interactions with it. So is that gonna be like a comedic Jaws? Like I have no idea what the fuck's happening with that. 
I, I don't. Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Hopefully, it's just a joke that they were thinking about it, but it's probably not. It's probably cause... not. I mean, like, it is sort of funny that they made this movie, though. Like, they put a lot of money into this kind of dumb concept. I'm not like I'm not going to completely knock it. I think it was just sort of a misstep. I don't think in and of itself this idea or this premise for a movie wouldn't have created something good. I just think you have to like you have to have some sort of mochi- like again you have to have some sort of style. You have to have like more cohesive effects. I think use of CGI. You have to have a better script. Um, I don't know. It was just a big bummer. I, I did. I did laugh several times and I almost feel kind of like weird that I laughed at some of the gags. There's this reoccurring joke where like one of the cops has this cute dog and it's like one of these prissy frou-frou dogs. And like the opening scene in this is he's like in the police station. He's asking his partner. He's like, do you have a lab? Or do you have a dog? And she's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, does your dog play fetch? She's like, yeah, he loves playing fetch. And then it goes out and the guy's like with this prissy dog and he's calling the adoption agency. And he's like, I must've gotten the wrong dog. I'm supposed to get a dog that plays fetch. My dog just looks expensive. And I laughed at that. And it's a reoccurring joke where, like, he loves this dog. And, you know, I felt like I chuckled at it. But also I felt like I was falling into kind of the family guy manatee trap where that joke could have been in any fucking movie whatsoever yeah. would have been funny. It didn't feel like it derived from the plot at all. Yeah. And then all it did was lead up to this moment where she betrays her partner later on for reasons that I'm not even sure about. And she's working with the cocaine dealers. All of that was so messy and so fucking stupid that I just was, I checked out at that point. So that was the gazebo scene. I think <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I had sort of checked out long before that and I, I agree. It, like while I did find that, that sort of running joke, uh, kind of funny, you know? Yeah. It, it had, it was completely separate from, the character and the movie. Cause like, I mean, even that like bearing on that character specifically, like didn't really inform any of his decisions or anything. It didn't, didn't have any effect on what he did. It was just kind of like this thing that he just occasionally brought up and I was like, mm, whatever. Ultimately I thought it was kind of a shrug, but yeah, I mean, I kind of laughed in the moment. Yeah, I do. I do think it is interesting, though, that I, I do believe in that last act when they introduce the Cubs and like the, you know, and Ray Liotta kicks one of the Cubs and like it winces or whatever. I think you're supposed to be like, no, save the Cubs. And I really do think the movie thinks that audiences oh, connect with CGI. And maybe they do. Maybe they do. I just don't like I can't care no. about a character that I know is not real and the animation looks like shit. I just can't do it. So I won't I mean, allow it, myself it, to feel emotional attachment to these CGI bears. I just won't do it. I mean, again, it's it's different. I think it's different from film to film and how they incorporate it. But, you know, one where it's just blatantly putting them right out there center of screen, you know, saying, look at these fucking bears. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't care. Um, whereas, like, you know, in a different movie when they're a little bit more, you know, I don't know, cagey about it where they try to hide it or use it a little bit less yeah i mean I, I i don't know maybe i can't think of a movie off the top of my head but i don't know yeah i didn't give a fuck <laughs> yeah yeah general verdict wasted time right yeah yeah <laughs> I, I mean i i would just it's kind of just a theatrical version of like a sharknado type movie where it's just kind of like the the name of the movie is the concept where like it almost feels like this would have been a better movie within a movie about how dumb Hollywood is, you know, whereas like, you know, it just seems like reverse engineered from the title. And, you know, if, if this is in, you know, if this is the movie they make in Bowfinger and, you know, we're just seeing like a couple clips from it, like, yeah, that's really funny. And it's a cool idea or whatever. 
But like, you know, again, stretched out to feature length, there is no movie here. It's it's just a cocaine bear. That's it. End of story. <laughs> the movie is literally, <laughs> the, it takes literally the, the title is the film. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's just, it's like you don't, you don't even need to see it. It's like you saw the trailer. Yeah. Yep. There you go. There's the bear. He snorted cocaine. Now he's acting all crazy. You t- you touch on something too. Do you remember like sci-fi used to have all those terrible movies like Megalodon and all this crazy shit yeah, that would come yeah. out? Well, like the the CGI was really bad. I kind of love those movies, but again, I think this this doesn't understand why we enjoyed those. We enjoyed those because they were so bad and so stupid. The acting was bad. The script was bad. The like talent on display for directing it was embarrassing. And I think that even Sharknado fell into this. Once you get to Sharknado three and you start having big star cameos. It outlives its usefulness. You also start, like, the film no longer becomes just, like, this B-movie. It becomes a sort of fake, disingenuous B-movie. And that's what's mm-hmm. happening here, I think. So, Well, and that's the thing, too, about... I, I think it's become kind of a thing. Like, you know, people liking bad movies or these sort of so-bad-it's-good sort of judgment about movies... Um, that It kind of jumped the shark, and now people try to make movies like that, and they're just... There's something about the like the disingenuousness of that that I that I find like kind of cringy and off-putting that like I just I just don't enjoy that and I think this is sort of flirting with with that I don't think this is quite the same thing as you know actively trying to make a bad ridiculous movie but it kind of is um, yeah that just does nothing for me it's just kind of you try to make a bad movie and you did. I know. Bad movies are fun because they're errors, right? Like, if you go back and you watch Karate yeah. Cop, which is one of my favorite bad movies of all time, it's garbage. It's fucking trash. And, like, I don't know where they filmed it in Italy with $100. But, like, the mm-hmm. movie's crap. That Like, the story's crap. But, like, it's bad because it's hard to believe that someone actually made it. And But, yeah, like, back exactly. then, too, you have no computer effects. And, like, but like when you have a $50 million budget and a big CGI bear, like, it's hard to capture that kind of charm, I guess. Well, I mean, that's the thing that's, yeah, that's the thing about it too, is like, you know, in the eighties and nineties, yeah, it was like, who thought this was a good idea? Who greenlit this? And then it's also like people put a lot of love into it at the same time. Where it's like people tried really hard to like bring this thing to life and it's just terrible. It's like conceptually awful and just like a failure from the start. So like, there's something interesting about watching those, but like, you know, anymore when it's just like a CGI extravaganza it's just like who fucking cares yep i agree it's you really know? fake man it just like the internet kind of ruined bad movies too i guess like as yeah. all these sort of bad movies from the 80s like credit cop or whatever went viral on youtube over the years people were like oh there's a market for us to like attack like we're gonna make films for that audience but that audience mm-hmm. was never an audience that audience was created ironically by the fact that again when film was much more limited and less accessible it was hard to believe that someone greenlit the project like you said so <laughs> that's yeah, what made it inherently was, funny. There was also like a like sort of a video store aspect to it too, where it's like, well, I went to the video store and I rented it. This is what I'm watching. Like, you know, I this is it. This is my night. So I'm gonna finish it. Whatever. Whereas like now, I don't know. Now with Netflix, it's just like, yeah, if if I start watching something like that and it sucks, I'm just gonna turn it off. I know, bro. You this know, like, goes into like conversation when, we have all the time too about too much content. The video store yeah. aspect, I mean, you're spot on with that. Now that we have so many movies and we're oversaturated with them, you can't make a bad movie anymore. Like you just not really. It's not a thing that can really exist. A bad, like what what would a bad movie even be? You would just assume it was intentionally made that way, and it would sort of lose its um, 
I don't know, sort of in, like lose inherently what made it interesting by the fact that films used to be much more of a limited product. Yeah. Well, I mean, people definitely still make bad movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, they do. But, <laughs> yeah, but it, they're I, at I Disney don't know. now, it, though. <laughs> Jesus. Move it and knock at the cabin. I think I called it Cabin in the Woods when we were ending the show. I'm sorry about that, Brad. Knock at the yeah. Cabin by M. Night Shyamalan. I'm so bad with names, and like Cabin in the Woods is a really good movie. They're both about cabins in the woods. So like, give me a break. Uh, cabin in the Woods was like the first uh, movie that we covered in in like some form of media. Oh, this week's movie. <clears throat> Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I'm going to put that in the show which, notes. The original. Which OG. basically became the cinematic tangent. Yeah. Definitely. It was ages ago now. I don't even want to read the review for that I wrote. We did. But back then, there was no. People weren't recording podcasts, right? They were writing stuff on blogs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was rare for two random guys to have a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so as I said, this is Knock at the Cabin uh, from M. Night Shyamalan, who I really am a fan of. Uh, I really do like – I'm actually a big defender of even, like, his kind of bad movies. I really love The Sixth Sense. I really love Unbreakable. Um, I uh, I don't know, man. I have a real, like, kind of soft spot for him. I think The Village is kind of a masterpiece. <laughs> uh, I really I really do. And uh, so I always sort of enter his movies kind of expecting to be disappointed, but always take away something I really liked. Um, I'll just say this, uh, and I might be in the minority in this. I think this movie is excellent. Um, when I was watching it, I really enjoyed it. Now that I've read some criticism of it and now that I reviewed the short story, I sort of made the mistake of doing those things. I think I like the movie a little less. So I'm just going to talk about the way the movie I thought was presenting itself because I think it has some interesting sort of like complicated social themes that I think are worth getting at. And also, I like the basic story. It's this gay couple yeah. and their adopted daughter in the woods. Um, and uh, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse knock on their door and they say the world is going to end unless one of you sacrifice yourself. And uh, they proceed to, like, kill themselves in front of this couple and, uh, like, show them on television that the world is ending until they're ready to make the sacrifice. Dave Bautista's in it. He steals the show. He's fucking amazing. Um, you have been a longtime Dave Bautista defender on the show. He's an excellent actor, man. He really has, like, He really is. Shown some incredible depth. Like, I'm a big wrestling fan or was a wrestling fan. Uh, always liked him as a wrestler. I thought he was really cool in the Bond movies. I thought he was excellent as Drax. But I was just like, you know, he probably has a limited range. I don't know, dude. He really did an excellent job in this movie. I don't yeah, think it's it overstated. Really did. Really, did. I think he really came off as like this kind of soft, gentle person. Uh, he was very compelling. Was um, he? Was he a wrestler or a UFC fighter? No, he's a well. He did. He did have I think one or two pro MMA fights. Uh, maybe even just one. But he was a he was a WWE wrestler. Okay, so he had like a persona and. Yeah. Like acted, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah, he did. And like, okay. you know, like he was, he, I think that he was able to make the train. A lot of those guys don't end up having a whole lot of depth. Um, yeah. I think he's one of the guys who really does. I think he's a really good actor. So a lot of them are like, you know, not like Hulk Hogan. who did a lot of movies and they're terrible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you, mean, you know, like Santa with muscles, Suburban Whatever. Commando. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. He stole the show for me. I, I liked it immediately. And it's interesting, too, because like we talk a lot on the show about like social justice and wokeness and all this kind of stuff. This was a movie that I thought presented itself as sort of interesting 
themes because like you have this sort of you have this gay couple and this adopted daughter and like they're um, there is like some flashbacks to like different issues they've had with their persecution and stuff and like you know as they've like had a lie about the relationship to adopt their kid all the kind of stuff is in there but at the end of the day the four horsemen who are approaching them are all regular working class people who are compelled by god to come to them and it becomes sort of it became clear to me very quickly into the film that these people weren't lying and you're kind of waiting for that Shyamalan-esque twist to come into play I kind of just banked in the middle of the movie that that wasn't coming and I was really surprised when it didn't come the world just starts to end and I think that was really really cool too that Shyamalan avoided his like cliche uh, sort of overused twist at this point I'm kind of glad that he's moved away from that a little bit you know because I, I think that he was just I don't know do you think so wait a minute go ahead no I so it I guess the 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 two points you just made there that you you know sort of immediately believed them and that you liked that there was no twist. I I think I I don't know. I think they sort of butt heads a little bit because I I think I believe them because that's the premise of the movie and the movie is nothing without that. Right. So it's just kind of like yeah. that's I I believed it because it's a movie concept and it they they have to have something to do. Um I you know but I, I don't know. I think it actually could have used a twist ending. <laughs> Interesting. Because there's sort of a surrealism to it where I think makes the... I don't believe them. I didn't believe them immediately. Um, but, like, I did believe them much earlier on than I would in a typical Shyamalan film. And I think it's because it has mm-hmm. this kind of, like... it's <clears throat> This is basically just, like, a philosophical dialogue to a lot of degrees, right? So, like, I'm yeah. not taking it as something that's literally happening in the world. I'm taking this as sort of a metaphor for a larger conversation that these people are oh, having. Oh, definitely. Yeah. You know? And I think that that's where the movie... So, like, I think that's what I mean when I said it was believable. I was like, okay, like like you said, that's the movie's presenting it matter-of-factly that way, and I'm willing to go along with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, and... It, it, I think a big part of the reason for that is Dave Bautista because there's that opening scene where it's the the little girl, the the adopted daughter, like catching grasshoppers or something, and he just kind of walks up and he seems very imposing because he's enormous and uh, covered in tags, you know. But then he just kind of like sits down and and he's just like, oh, I, I I like to collect grasshoppers, you know, and like they just kind of do that together and then they like sort of get to know each other and it's kind of like this sweet moment between this weird stranger and this little girl. And so, like, I think that really opens the door for me to, like, accept some more outlandish things that might happen in the movie because it starts on this very grounded note. <clears throat> Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely makes sense. I, th- I think I'm with you on that. I'll just say this, like, for me, uh, I I think there is some good film craft here. I think Shyamalan is a very talented director, like I've said. But for me, the themes of the movie are really what, like, uh, I felt were most, most interesting. The character dynamics are really cool. So, like, we go back to, like, the fact that this is a gay couple, which is really, really important to the film. Um, but what I found sort of fascinating about it is I felt like the movie presented a sort of class argument that was almost antithetical to wokeness. Because the people who are all sacrificing themselves in front of this couple, one of them is an ex-convict who uh, fixes HVAC machines. Um, you know, one of them is Dave Bautista, who's a troubled youth counselor. One of them is a nurse, and the other girl is a waitress, I think. And she's yeah, like a single a mom chef. and a waitress. And they're no, killing she's a them. cook. She's anyway, a cook. Yeah, that's anyway. right. Yeah, she's a cook. Yeah, 
But they're killing themselves in front of these two rich lawyers from Boston who are rich enough to go out to a cabin in the woods on vacation, you know, for God knows how long of a period of time with their kid. And like it almost had this kind of thing, too, where we're coming out of the pandemic. And like I think class issues are somewhat highlighted. I thought this movie was sort of speaking to a lot of that stuff where, yes, this couple's gay. Yes, they've had to deal with persecution in their life, including, you know, being attacked in a bar, uh, which is something I want to get to in a minute because I think that's interesting Mm -hmm. as well. But, like, the idea that it's just, like, there's all these, there's, like, this, you know, this, there was, like, the one scene I found most affecting this is, like, when the girl who has this, is the single mom and the cook, and she's ready to kill themselves in front of them, and she's begging them not to let her do it because she has to go home to her kid. Her kid has no one else. And they just let her kill herself. And for me, mm-hmm. that was, like, the most affecting moment of the movie where I didn't, like, their their sort of, like, gay identity was suddenly meaningless to me in the face of what it meant to be a person that was expendable to society. And the real people who are expendable are not this gay couple and their kid who have to sacrifice someone. The real people who are expendable are the four horsemen here who are all working class regular people who already have to deal in society's hardships and now they're dying in front of these people. And I felt like they were the they were the biggest victims of all of me for me in this moral equation that the movie is presenting. And I that's I thought that was really fucking cool and really kind of bold and brave to do. Um, and I left the movie feeling really, really confident in that, especially like even at the end, like we you know when they have to go through their sacrifice and all this kind of yeah. stuff. I don't know. I found that very affecting and I thought it was really cool that Shyamalan did that. I don't I, think everyone saw the movie that way, though. So. No, I did not. And I think I think part of it is that the the gay couple are the protagonists. I think if you had seen it from Leonard and the horseman's perspective, then that, that could have been what it was saying. But like, if that's what it was going for, I think it's kind of unsuccessful because, uh, you know, you mentioned the bar incident, the assault. And so, yeah, it's like one, one of these, the, they were at a bar a couple of years ago in the movie. And, uh, one of them got like hit with a beer bottle. He had like a concussion or something. Had to go to the hospital. It was very traumatic. Um, and like the guy who assaulted them said some. Didn't he say some slur or something he like that? Him the yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then that turns out to be one of the horsemen. Like, and and so the guy recognizes him, and uh, that's the first horseman to kill himself or to be killed by the other horsemen, whatever. Um, and so I think the fact that they have a plausible reason to suspect that this is motivated by like hate or bigotry or, or just kind of like psychotic because they, they really give no support for their claims. Like, you know, if someone showed up to your house and said, the world's going to end if you don't kill yourself, like, are you just going to go, Oh, okay. You know? So like, I, I think the fact that it is such an outlandish premise, like we believe it way before they do because it's a movie, but like in the reality of their situation, like it's insane. I, I agree so, with you. And like this movie would not work in reality. I think that right. whenever you're presenting a moral question in any kind of art, like you have to be able to like put reality aside a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, I agree. So the the bar incident is interesting because one of the horsemen is the guy who attacked him, and he like they're like they assumed it was his hate attack because the guy called him a frat. But then he has this line where he's like, "I didn't even know that they were gay," and he made this terrible mistake and went to prison for it, and he's apologetic, and like he's you know struggling to get out, you know, struggling with the normal life out of jail. I think he was in prison many years ago. I think it was more than two years ago, like whatever it was. I don't remember. 
But like the point on that scene was like, this guy made this terrible mistake. He's drunk at a bar and hit a guy with a bottle. He didn't even like, I believe the character was like, I didn't know they were gay and it wasn't this hate attack thing. And I felt like that was somewhat vindicated by the fact that he just sacrificed himself for the entire fucking world in front of you. Like that Mm -hmm. seems worse than attacking someone in a bar. Like for me, the moral equation there is like, your the attack on the hate attack that you had at a bar where someone hit me with a bottle, which is terrible. I'm not saying it isn't, but mm. like that's negated by the fact that movie A I think reveals successfully that this guy didn't do it because they were gay, and B he just killed your killed himself, just killed himself in front of you for this for like the fate of mankind. So like that just didn't hold a lot of weight to me in well, this idea that like I was supposed to feel like they were per- persecuted members of society, especially because they're rich lawyers from Boston, you know? Right, but. But I think the fact that they recognize him, well, so the movie, the movie does this weird thing. I think it actually does it twice, and I, to its detriment, in my opinion. Um, it does this thing where it's, you know, they say like, "I think that's the guy," and it's after he died, and they, and they've like, uh, the horsemen, the remaining horsemen, have like taken his body outside or whatever. And they're like, "I think that's the guy." Like, get his wallet. Let me see his license. Like, let me. See, I know the guy's name. Whatever. <clears throat> And so, like, they don't do it right away. And, like, he eventually, like, gets away and looks at the guy's license, and it is him. So I think if they don't confirm that, then I think it's a little bit more successful in what you're saying. But, like, once they confirm that, like, yes, this is the guy, and he, like, I I just think it gives too much plausible, like, reason to believe that this is motivated by something other than, like, selflessness or, like, an actual threat to mankind. And I think that's... I don't know. Like, I think that's kind of a bummer that they, that he, that Shyamalan reveals that. I think it would, the movie would have been much stronger uh, without that. And the, the second thing we'll get to later, which is the very end of the movie, uh, which I think he falters on revealing a little bit too much. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you. I'm like, I'm somewhat playing devil's advocate here. Cause I've, my opinion of the movie has softened, especially after the mm-hmm. more I think about it and the more I've read about it. Because I agree he made a big mistake with that. Because I also think the character, the the guy who kills himself, the HVAC guy went to prison with the bottle, I think that he's revealing to them at that moment that he is the guy. Because he's just like, he recognizes them to some degree. That's why he has that line where he's like, look, I made bad mistakes. But like, he has some sort of line in there where like, he's just like, it, it isn't, it, there's no indication that he's hateful of them for being gay. And then when they had the mm-hmm. flashback in the bar, it's just like he bumps into him and hits him and calls him a f- and hits him in the bottle. And mm-hmm. it's just like, that word is something you would use to some guy you're demasculating in a bar in a fight situation, you know, especially if you're a lower working class person, quite frankly. And I didn't feel like the movie was judgmental of anyone that was like that. They're just sort of presenting this as the kind of mistake that someone who's an idiot who maybe had a troubled life would make. And the fact that he went to prison yeah. for it and then like no one is permanently injured um i feel like that i feel like that didn't make it that really that bad for me and i felt like the ptsd the guy had from like getting hit in the bottle with a bar he's fine and now he's like all the time on the lookout for people trying to kill him for being gay and he has a gun i thought all that was insane like i felt like that was like the most modern internet era kind of thing ever because like i've been punched in bars a couple times and, like, I'm just not that afraid to walk around in the world, you know? And I'm not, you know, I'm not married to a man um, or anything like that. But, like, it's just, I just didn't find that to be on its face a compelling thing. And I felt like the movie is a little judgmental of that character who were like, hey, you need to cool down and respect, like, how privileged you are in the world. Like, you're a rich family from Boston who's highly mm-hmm. successful. How much can society really be persecuting you? That's the way I felt about it at the time. Yeah, so, yeah. But I, I mean, again, like I, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like I've said it several times now. I just, I, I just think it, the fact that the movie opens the door 
for that possibility that this could be motivated by hate or bigotry. I, I just think that's a mistake. I don't know. Like, I, I think if it, I think if it was just like a like a failure to see eye to eye where it's like, OK, they got, you know, they got assaulted at a bar and maybe, they you know, they faced other persecution, uh, which is kind of shown in flashbacks at times. But like the other ones are like far more minor than that. It's like one of the, you know, meeting the other guy's parents and they leave after 10 minutes or something like that. It's like, OK, I mean, that's sad, but it's not like society persecuting you. Oh, that um, happens to me all the time. <laughs> Straight. <laughs> <laughs> um you know the other is like they have to lie to adopt the the baby or whatever it's like all right you know but what you still got the baby um right so you know like you know but the fact that they reveal that it's this specific guy that did it one of these four horsemen is the guy that assaulted them in a bar that you know in their eyes could have been motivated by bigotry he does say the word like I, I I don't know. I just think that's a mistake, and it it does it does give them a reason to not want to believe these people more than the fact that what they're saying is ridiculous. I agree. I mean, like I I can't I can't. I'm really just like I agree with you. Like, there's parts of mishandled. I don't know, man, but I felt so bad. Like when that one girl who the the kid killed herself, and at that moment, I was just yeah. like the tables turned for me. When I was like, you guys are the bastards. Like, it's you've you're seeing the world end on TV. Like, multiple people are now dead. Like, you are now responsible for the fate of mankind. And I do think that like also it is interesting to have this sort of within the the realm of like Christian mythos, you know, too, because like. You know, Christianity is not very nice to gay people. Let's just be honest. It's a per, it's a very perfect. Like, no. I, I don't even know why I'm like. I don't even know why I'm like guarding this. It's not a shitty religion nice. and it's shitty to gay people. It's fucking terrible. Yeah, yeah. So like, there is that element of that too, where like the fact that this is the four horsemen from the you know the Book of Revelations is it's also a detriment. Like it also speaks against what I'm saying. I just I don't know. I thought that he handled it with much more nuance than I think when I read part of the short story. Which appears to just be like, here's this beautiful gay couple, and now they have to kill themselves in a last act of persecution from society. And then Stephen King praised it, which I, like, Stephen King's gone crazy in the last few years. He's a complete dumbass on Twitter. And, like, you know, the short story seems much, I did not read it all, but I read through a lot of it. It's not a short story, it's a a short novel. But, like, it seems... It seems much more straightforward in its themes, and they're much more woke, and I thought that was very disappointing. And it put the movie in a new light for me, where I wondered if Shyamalan meant to present that, but ended up presenting something more complicated by accident. You know what I'm saying? I think I think it's a little bit accidental and a little bit intentional. Because, like, I mean, I do, I you know, I do think there is an element of it where he's presenting this gay couple like they are star-crossed lovers, and they are the the pinnacle of of love and what everyone should aspire to um you know because like they're i can't remember what their their phrase is but they have you know they have like some version of like to the end of the earth or uh love you to the end of time or some bullshit like that you know they have one of those kind of like fairy tale lines that they tell each other um (laughs) you know with their eyes are you know glowing or whatever or not glowing shining i don't know um but yeah i mean I, I don't know. I, I I mean, I think he does. I think he he tamps down some of that in in the movie and does. I don't know. Introduce some complexity. I haven't read the story, but like I it, reading a bunch of reviews for the movie, uh, a bunch of critics reference the story, um, and that it's like much more extreme too. Um, Do you have a passage from that one review? Because I think that that lady nailed it. 
I do. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is Stephanie Zacharek. I don't know exactly if that's how you pronounce her name, but from Time. Uh, early in the film, Wen, who is the adopted daughter, Wen explains to Leonard in exasperation that a guidance counselor at her school repeatedly gushes how awesome it is that she has two fathers. Yet the movie does the same thing, penning this modern but not so out of the ordinary family into their own little petting zoo. I kind of agree with that. I think that is exactly what he's doing. I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I I can't really say it any better than that because that I don't know. I I think that's exactly what he's doing. Um. Yeah, I guess you're right. I don't know, man. Like maybe I'm bringing too much of my own kind of like you know I'm a class first kind of person in my politics. I think mm-hmm. like this movie coming out after COVID. Um. You know, in a time where I think a lot of this stuff was really exacerbated, where people were like really falling back on identities when the real separation from COVID is like the working class and all the people got to stay home, um, you know, and live their lives much more normally going out to restaurants and their masks, stuff like that. Um, You know, and the fact that like the girl who kills herself is a cook and probably had to deal with the pandemic and had to like be in a mask the whole time and working for these people who are out there unmasked and socializing like they're normal, all that kind of stuff I brought into it. And I do think he was asking a little bit of those questions. And like if if Shyamalan was like, shout out to you, man, that's awesome. I think we need more movies like that. I think there's enough more complexity here to make the movie worth a watch and make your own kind of judgment on it. Um, But I could see it both ways uh, now that, you know, in retrospect. I'll just say I thought it was really interesting to have a movie coming out that raised some serious questions about, like, if being gay was enough to just be persecuted by society, because I don't think that it is anymore. So I think if you're broke, you're much more likely to be persecuted persecuted by society than someone who's rich and gay. It's just the reality of it. But, you know, Mm. like, one of the Mm. main Trump supporters is fucking Peter Thiel. He's gay as shit. Like, I just don't... It's just we live in a totally different fucking era now. Um and so I like that aspect of it. And I think that having a movie that was basically a philosophical dialogue was also really cool. I haven't seen a movie like this in a while that's very abstract. It's presenting something that's almost Greek in the way it's approaching like a conversation between characters where everything feels fictional. It's really just about the moral like uh, like moral dilemma it's creating. I really liked it. I thought it was a really good movie. I still like it, even though I'm not too confident in my view about it anymore. So... Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I seem much more down on it, but, uh, I, I actually did enjoy it and I think it, it, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I, I just don't think it's quite as successful as it could have been. Um, I also do want to mention the ending since I referenced it earlier. Yeah, please. Um, (laughs) yeah. So the ending is one of the, you know, the four horsemen end up killing themselves and then the, we should probably definitely put a spoiler alert up here. Uh, please do that this in the, the show. or something. We, we spoil. <clears throat> it's okay. True. True. Um, but yeah, so they end up killing themselves and then it's, I can't remember exactly how, but the, the gay couple eventually believes and one of them kills the other and then takes the, the daughter like into town and you know, all the people are sort of recovering. Everything is, is like going back to normal and all of these threats actually were real the world was going to end. And like, I think there's, I think that's such a misstep to actually reveal that this was an actual threat. Like, I think it would have been much better if it just ended with him shooting his partner and then going and getting the daughter and that's it. They're in the woods and alone. And maybe it was all for nothing. Um, Cause like, I just think that makes it much better as a sort of thought experiment. And 
I don't know. Like, I just think it's another, it's sort of an extension of revealing the, you know, the guy's driver's license and that it actually was the guy that, that assaulted them in the bar. It's just kind of like, it's, I think it would be much better if it was just a little bit more vague about it and it let us stew in like the sort of moral complexity of it and the questions it's raising rather than answering them for us and just making it more, much more simple. I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. I think you're spot on with that. I agree with literally all of that. I thought it was interesting too that uh, the end of the uh, the ending of the book is different than the the movie. But in the movie it ends where like yeah, the one gay guy comes around, the one uh, and he's like, listen, I think this is real. Like you have to kill me. I'm not going to be responsible for the world ending. I don't want to roam the planet alone with you guys. Like I can't be responsible for like, people's death. And so his husband kills him. And I thought that was a really good affecting scene where this person did make the proper sacrifice, the same sacrifice that all these other people were making. And it seemed mm-hmm. like almost like to me, I'm like, you know, I'm covered in Satan tattoos and I'm, you know, anti-theist. But like it seemed like a real fuck you to God where it was like the outcome God probably wanted was for this couple to roam the planet alone if they were really being persecuted. So the fact mm-hmm. that the, the, the fact that the world really ended and this guy made the sacrifice I think that that I understand why you would do that if you're making a, a more a, a movie with this moral complicated question. You want to reveal like, hey, they made the right call. But I also agree with the way they handled it was a real fuck up. Like having them go back to the car and like they're playing the song, they're listening on the radio, and then the little girl turns it up, and then like you know they're just singing and going on about their lives after the world ended. I was like, this is cringe. Did not understand yeah. that at all. Really bad ending. Yeah. So. But I liked it, man. I really did. I think that I want to see more movies like this. I want to see more movies take these kind of like complicated moral positions because like it is funny. Like uh, I've been having conversations with people about it and they're really split between like the it was super woke and I loved it and the, you know, hey, I think it was really complicated kind of positions. It's funny. Like I really I'm glad this movie's out there. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but hats off, man. Shyamalan uh, made another accidentally good movie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I appreciate Shyamalan. Like, I, I, I probably sound much more down on him than you do. Um, you know, I, I think the first three were incredible. Six Sense, Unbreakable Signs are fucking phenomenal. And then I think almost everything after that kind of sucks. But oh, I love The Village. We should do a show on The Village sometime. I think The Village is a four-star movie. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I actually have not seen it since 2004. I think it's uh, a masterpiece. opening night. Uh, so... I don't know. I, I would do it. I remember thinking it was abysmal. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I love him, man. I have a big soft spot for him. I, you know, I even like Lady in the Water a little bit, even though I think it's kind of narcissistic Oof. and silly. I know I'm not, I'm not, you know, I have a defense of it, which is not a good one. And you easily destroy it with one argument. We've had the talk many times and I agree with you, but I still like it. <laughs> um, anyway, that's it. That's all I got to say about this. I, uh, I liked it. I thought there was some class stuff in there, so. Um, that's it. Is that the show? Can we move on to the actual show we're going to record today? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. This has been the Cinematic Tangent. I want to remind you, email the show at the Cinematic Tangent at gmail.com. You can find us at thecinematictangent.com. Brad and I are not on social media, but please interact with us there. We would love to talk to you. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. I'm Chad Van Alston. I'm Brother Rutter. We are out. Goodbye.